0: Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The outside of the temple had no gold to speak
1: of, and it looked very common. It was arguably plain and sort of bland, but all of the beauty was on the inside. In other words, the outside did not look all that impressive, but the inside was grand and glorious and is that not how it is with us and for
0: us this is in spirit and truth the radio ministry of pastor jd barag of calvary chapel kaniohe join us as pastor jd teaches through the book of second chronicles we're told in the new testament that as christians we have inside of us a treasure the gospel and outside we're merely dust In today's study, Pastor J.D. reveals several parallels in the structure of Solomon's temple with the life and ministry of Jesus. Like Jesus, our outward appearance may be nothing special, but inside resides the spirit and power of God. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: Let's get into our study of God's Word tonight. We're in Second Chronicles, chapters 3 and 4. So, uh, while you're turning there, I just want to uh, mention that there is a video online that was brought to my attention. It was some excerpts of a recent Calvary Chapel pastor's conference in which a uh, prominent Calvary Chapel pastor had uh, made the statement that the Old Testament was no longer necessary in teaching, as the Apostle Paul said, the full counsel of God. Also, uh, he stated that Bible prophecy needed to be kind of dialed down, that Pastor Chuck Smith was towards the end in his love for Bible prophecy. And by the way, This is where I got my love for Bible prophecy was from Pastor Chuck Smith, and uh, he basically said that Pastor Chuck was doom and gloom, and for that reason, Bible prophecy should be kind of, quote-unquote, dialed back. He also no longer believes that Calvary Chapel pastors need to teach the Old Testament, particularly on Sunday mornings. And if they do it's not necessary to teach you know line upon line and he made the comment about how that uh, it was not necessary to even you know read every word and teach every word in every chapter of every book of the Old Testament now why do I share that well because you're probably gonna see this online and I just kind of want to reiterate my commitment as a Calvary Chapel pastor. We are on Thursday nights, at least for now, uh, we are going to go through the Old Testament book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I'll add word by word. As long, yes, thank you. Praise the Lord, right? Don't even get me started about Bible prophecy, okay? <laughs> Dialing it back, listen, I'm going to dial it up. <laughs> Take it back a notch, I'm going to ramp it up like two notches. And I think that the times are such that uh, it would uh, behoove us to do that. I have been asked about my affiliation as a Calvary Chapel pastor, and I just want you to know that I, oh my goodness, how many years ago now? It's been over... It's been 34 years. 34 years ago, I stepped into a Calvary chapel. I was a a young believer. I had read the Bible through all the way for the first time, from Genesis through to Revelation, before I actually stepped foot in a church. And a friend invited me to this new church that had just started, and it was called Calvary Chapel. And I walked in. Within the first few seconds, there was this guy with long hair, and it was in the summer on the mainland, and slippers, playing the guitar, and just playing simple worship music. And that was it. I was I was home. And I never left. And I was there for about 20 years. And then when I did leave, it was to plant my first Calvary Chapel in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So I, I grew up in the Calvary Chapel movement. And I did have the privilege over the years of meeting and talking with Pastor Chuck Smith on a couple of occasions. And I just want to reassure you that I'm going to continue doing what I was taught to do early on. And I would never rob you of teaching through the Old Testament. Uh, it has, for me, and I've shared this with you over the years, become for me the highlight. I'm careful when I say this, but in some ways enjoy teaching the Old Testament more than the New Testament. And the reason for that is because the Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals. And when you understand what the Old Testament says, it just enriches and, you know, makes the the New Testament come alive. And so I would never rob you of that. And for myself, just speaking for myself, I just know how God's Word, the whole counsel of God's Word from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, how important it has been in my life, the full counsel of God, the whole Word of God, all 66 books of the Bible. And I just, for the life of me, cannot imagine how anyone would ever say that you don't need to emphasize, or if you do teach the Old Testament, you can just kind of do a a surface scan of the Old Testament and not teach expositionally line upon line and precept upon precept. And that's just on with regards to the Old Testament. It was so grievous. I actually, it was actually Calvary Chapel Chino Hills that uh, sent me the link. And I got to say, it was so heartbreaking to hear this because I've actually been at this conference on the mainland where this uh, took place. It was a question and answer panel and again, I don't want to take too much time in this, but I just want to reassure you, uh, I am not going down that road, okay? We're going to keep doing what we're doing. I don't have permission to do anything different. We're going to continue going through on Thursday nights for our midweek, the Old Testament, and on Sunday mornings we're going to continue uh, with our Bible prophecy updates and also the, the New Testament on Sunday mornings chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Okay, I just wanted to mention that, and uh, for those of you who have not yet seen it, I just want you to be aware of it before you do. So tonight, again, 2 Chronicles chapters 3 and 4. All right, let's jump in, verse 1. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, and he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. (laughs) So the chapter begins with Solomon beginning the building of the temple, and this is believed to have been in the year 967 B.C. And we're told that it was four years into his reign, which sort of begs the question of why would it take him four years before he would, in obeying the command of the Lord, uh, why would it take him four years to begin the building of the temple? The only thing I can think of is he uh, was waiting on the architect to finish the uh, plans and then get the... No, I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry, that was bad. Okay, I couldn't resist, but didn't have the permit. That's why it took if it, four, four years. No, that's not why. The thought is it took Solomon three years just to prepare and transport all the materials before he could actually start the building. You have to, have to understand, this was a massive project. This was a massive project, as we're about to see tons of gold, literally tons of gold, and all of the cedars from Lebanon, just the wood, and how about all of the stone, all of the rock that was cut in that quarry and then transported there to the location where the temple would be built. That takes a while. It, It took us the better part of two years in order to do this. I mean, it just takes time. And so this is the thought as to why it took uh, four years. Verse 3, this is the foundation which Solomon laid for building the house of God. The length was 60 cubits, and we're told parenthetically by cubits according to the former measure, and the width 20 cubits. And verse 4, the festival that was in front of the sanctuary was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the height was 120. By the way, not very big, not very big. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. (laughs) The larger room, verse 5, he paneled with cypress, which he overlaid with fine gold, and he carved palm trees and chain work on it. And verse 6, he decorated the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was gold. From Parvaim, he also overlaid the house, the beams, and the doorposts, its walls and doors with gold, and he carved cherubim on the walls, and he made the most holy place. Its length was according to the width of the house, 20 cubits, and its width 20 cubits, and he overlaid it with, get this, 600 talents of fine gold." Check this out. (laughs) This is massive. This is expensive, because this would be, 600 talents of gold would be the equivalent of about 23 tons with a T. Now what's an ounce of gold worth today? About $1,400 an ounce? An ounce? How many ounces in a pound? How many pounds in a ton and 23 tons? Do the math. No, don't. (laughs) It'll make your hair hurt. Interesting to note, too, that all of this gold was to be inside the holy place and also the holy of holies, which is where the ark of God was placed. Now, as we're going to see here momentarily, the the temple was divided into three sections. You had the outer courts as you entered, and then after you entered the outer courts, you would enter the holy place. This is where the menorah was and the table of showbread, and then after that you would go to the, the altar of incense in the holy place, and then that's where the curtain was. Remember the curtain that was that was torn from top to bottom when Jesus was crucified? because see only the high priest one day a year on the day of atonement was allowed entrance into the most holy place where the ark of the covenant was in order to make atonement for the sins of Israel and get this if he had unconfessed sin he didn't have to be sinless but if he had unconfessed sin in his life and he entered in to the most holy place God just would kill him. <laughs> and, and here's what they would do. They would tie a bell to him so that, cause only the high priest could go in and only on the day of atonement, one day a year. So nobody else could go in. So there would be no way they could know if God killed him unless the bell stopped ringing. I'm not making this up. This is what they would do. So they would listen for that bell, and when that bell stopped ringing, they had a rope tied to him, and because nobody could go in. You can't go in and retrieve the body. So they would take and pull this. You should have confessed the sin, is what I'm thinking, you know, because if if God killed him, that's how they would get him out of the most holy place. This is where the Shekinah glory of God was. This is where the presence of God was in the most holy place in the temple. And it is laid with pure gold. And inside the temple, there were 23 tons of this gold. Now, here's what's interesting. In the New Testament, and this is again why the Old Testament is so important when it comes to the New Testament, When you come across the word temple in the original language, for example, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it carries with it the idea in the original language of the holy of holies. In other words, our bodies are the holy of holies where God dwells the Holy Spirit of God. God the Holy Spirit indwells us, our bodies, as the temple, like He indwelt the Holy of Holies in the temple for the Israelites. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? But the outside of the temple had no gold to speak of, and it looked very common. It was arguably plain and sort of bland, but all of the beauty was on the inside. In other words, the outside did not look all that impressive, but the inside was grand and glorious, and is that not how it is with us and for us? I think of what we're told in the New Testament, outwardly we decay day by day, but inwardly we're we're renewed. In the inner man, on the inside, in our spirit, we are this grand and glorious work that God, who is faithful to have begun it, is faithful to complete it. And this, to me, speaks to the work that God does in our lives. It's also interesting to note, for those of you who are really into typology, that gold is a type of royalty and gold is a type of deity, which again speaks to God being inside as he indwells, and it points to Jesus as King of Kings. One commentator noted that such was Christ's inside, as we're told in Colossians 2 9. In his outside was no such desirable beauty. Isaiah three two says, there's nothing outwardly that would make him desirable. I think about when they arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember when Judas betrayed him, that he had to betray him with a kiss? Think about this. Why? <laughs> you know, all of these artists' paintings and pictures we have of Jesus, I mean, he glows, right? And by the way, Jesus was not you know blonde with blue eyes i'm i'm sorry to ruin the image for you and he did not have a halo because all judas would have had to say is uh that's the one with the halo uh, yeah we figured that judas no <laughs> he looked common he looked like just any other guy he, there was isaiah says there was nothing outwardly that would draw you to him that you, would attract you to him that would make him distinguished from everybody else. He just looked like most of the Jewish men of that day. And I, and I really hate to do this to you. I've done this before, so I, I might as well just do it again. You know, Jesus probably looked more like me. <laughs> no, I'm serious because in the Middle East, you know, the whole DNA thing, uh, I mean, you know, the, the Arabs and the, and the Jews are really cousins, uh, fraternal cousins. So, uh, you know I really hate to ruin the image but that that's <laughs> so take that home with you and you'll never be able to <laughs> but nothing outwardly would attract us to him he was not desirable in his beauty outwardly commentator goes on to write so the church's glory is inward Psalm 44 verse 13 in the hidden man of the heart as the Apostle Peter says in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 4. Let's move on, verse 9. The weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold, and he overlaid the upper area with gold. In verse 10, the most holy place he made two cherubim, fashioned by carving, and overlaid them with gold. The wings of the cherubim were 20 cubits in overall length, one wing of the one cherub was five cubits, touching the wall of the room. And the other wing was five cubits, touching the wing of the other cherub. One wing of the other cherub was five cubits, touching the wall of the room. And the other wing was also five cubits, touching the wing of the other cherub. The wings of these cherubim spanned 20 cubits overall. They stood on their feet and they faced inward. And he made the veil of blue purple, crimson, and fine linen. I'll stop right there, uh, just a moment. This is why I love every word in God's word, especially in the Old Testament. For those of you who are with us in Exodus for the study of the tabernacle, there's a reason why it was blue, purple, crimson, and fine linen. You want to know why? I'll tell you why. The tabernacle is the body of Christ. It is a picture of Christ, a type of Christ. John one fourteen says, The word became flesh, that's Jesus, became a man, flesh and blood, and tabernacled amongst us. The tabernacle in every detail points to the person of and the body of Jesus Christ. And was this not the color of his beaten, bruised, body, blue and purple? How about the crimson, color of his blood? And fine linen, the white showing the bones. This was not beautiful at all. In fact, if you've seen images of the tabernacle, it's you'll forgive me. It's kind of ugly. I mean, this this is certainly not color coordinated, but so too was the body of the Savior ugly in how bruised it was, how pierced he was, wounded for our transgressions, pierced for our iniquities. And this was why it was that color, fine linen, and wove cherubim into it. Also, verse 15, he made in front of the temple two pillars, 35 cubits high, and the capital that was on top of each of them was five cubits, Verse 16, he made wreaths of chain work as in the inner sanctuary and put them on top of the pillars. And he made 100 pomegranates and put them on the wreaths of chain work. Then, verse 17, he set up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now I want you to pay a particular attention to this. We're going to be told the names of these temples. He called the name of the one on the right hand and the name of the one on the left, Boaz. Okay, now hang on to that. We'll come back to that in a moment. This is probably one of the reasons why the Old Testament gets such bad press, if I can say it that way. I mean, why? First of all, this is a lot of mundane detail. I mean, we almost have in some way the blueprints of the temple. We have the measurements of the temple. We have the colors of the curtain. We have all of this detail, and I suppose the question needs to be asked, why? Why is it important that we know all of this detail? I believe there are a couple of reasons. The first of which is that it speaks to how God cares about every detail in our lives
0: there's so much more to learn from the nation of Israel and the book of 2 Chronicles. But sadly, that's all the time we have for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Be sure to join us again, though, as Pastor J.D. continues teaching verse by verse through this fascinating Old Testament book. In the meantime, you can find more messages from Pastor J.D. by visiting our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. That address again is in spiritandtruthradio.com. You can subscribe to our podcast as well and receive new messages right away. Download our mobile app for Android and iPhone, as well as always have teachings from God's Word right at your fingertips. Don't miss the Aloha Prophecy Update either. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor JD shares the current events and how they relate to the end times prophecies described in the Bible. The purpose behind these updates is to take a practical look at the end times that we believe we are in. Pastor J.D. hopes the information he provides stirs in us an urgency to share the gospel message and make sure all have heard of the good news of Jesus before he returns to judge the world. There's much to learn each week, and Pastor J.D. does a great job of getting us the information we need. You can find new and previous updates by visiting our YouTube channel. We hope today's message has touched your life and left you craving more from the word of God. Join Pastor JD next time for another in-depth look at the book of 2nd Chronicles, right here on In Spirit and Truth.
2: With your way.